0: So women will go to events, they will attend attend masterclass, they will pay for a one-to-one, they want to get information before making a decision. Um, Men tend to be more off the cuff. Hello, hello, welcome
1: to How I Crushed It, the podcast that shines a light on talent in the community. I'm Tunde, and today we have on the show financial expert Emmanuel Asukwo. Emmanuel is a financial advisor and TV personality. He regularly appears on TV shows such as Channel 4's Secret Spenders and the BBC's We Are England. He is also founder of The e Effect, a financial empowerment company which helps people reach their financial goals. He is author of Book Get Your Money Right, which is an entertaining guide on how to build good financial habits And how to spend and save. Now, on this episode, you'll hear how he had a tough upbringing in East London, how he got into TV, and why women are better with money than men. I think you'll like it. Okay, so welcome into the show this week. It is Emmanuel Asukwo. How
0: are you doing, Emmanuel? I'm good today. How are you? Okay.
1: Very good, very good. I know you're a busy man, so I do appreciate you agreeing to do
0: this this podcast. Have you had much filming this week at all? Loads of content stuff and planning for next year and um, all that type of stuff. i have been doing lots of talks, um, Black History Month, so doing lots of talks and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's a busy time.
1: Yeah, I, I actually saw that you were one of the speakers at the UK Black
0: Business Show last week. And I went, how did you find that? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. You know, um, I went on a Monday, um, which is like the kind of party celebration. That was great just to be in a room full of, you know, black excellence and, you know, networking and meeting people. And, you know, it's always good to, to, to meet people and see the impacts that, you know, the stuff that you do in your bedroom or do at home um, and put on the internet actually has a, a positive effect to imp- to people and their lives so that's been that was amazing um i was there on the finance day you know some great conversations um great panels and then also i spoke on the on the saturday as well about the black pound and the importance of the black pound and you know us being really more confident and proud of what the, the power that we sway with our money and making more you know practical and in intentional decisions with our money so yeah it was it was a really great great event loads of businesses you know it's great to see you know the likes of mcdonald's and tesco and these big brands wanting to come and hire recruit reach out to, to our community um so yeah it's, it's it's a wonderful week
1: yeah i mean you're, you're clearly a man in demand because you also spoke at the byp network as well and uh, we had on kike who's the ceo there, founder we had her on be about four or five months ago now
0: so um, yeah, yeah yeah i did, did byp so that, that was yeah that was really good talk there you know talking about the book and so forth i love byp i've, I've been working with them for many many years and kike is amazing so yeah no it's, it, as much as there's lots of us you know the circle is quite small so so we, we meet each other and you know it's, it's great to have people that are, are supporting one another and encouraging one another and you know sharing our platforms with, with each other to try and um get the message out there well, let's take it right back to the start. You are an East
1: Londoner. You were born in East London. What part in particular and how, how were the first few years of your your life growing up in East London?
0: Yeah, so I, I grew up in um, Tower Hamlets in East London. Um, we lived in a place, first Shadwell and then moved to Lambhouse. So, yeah, it was it was hard. It was a hard upbringing. Um, you know, my parents came from Nigeria, um, so they had to, had to do the best, the jobs that they, they, they were given, which were mainly, you know, service, lo, low-paying, um, service security that that type of work and yeah it was it was quite difficult difficult time but you know my parents showed me as much love as they could and you know I have two younger sisters so yeah it was it was a loving family um but yeah it was hard it was difficult
1: and I I know on another podcast you mentioned about you know growing up on a council estate in East London I mean I I have the same experience in, in Hackney but painted it to be really pretty grim. So I was just wondering how how tough was life on the council estate back in um, in Limehouse?
0: Yeah, I mean the council state was very grim. Remember, you have to understand that. I guess Hackney's slightly different. Um, yeah. Whereas because Hackney's more, there's more black people in Hackney. I, I would probably say, and it's, it's probably a bit more mixed. Tower Hamlets ten, is is a majority, you know, Bangladeshi Asian community. Um, so. It's, it's very different in regards to how they live, um, and they tend to be quite um, a community that's very about themselves. Like they like themselves, and so it can be difficult on, on, on an estate where you know they don't want to necessarily interact with you. That you know they might not want to play with you. You know they just want to stay with themselves. In, in our first estate, you know they did everything to kind of chase us out. Um, you know, set my dad's car on fire. Um, you know, our balcony was set on fire. Um, you know, broken into, um, they used to spit on, spit on us and throw rubbish on us as we used to come into the estate. So it was very much, you know, a very, very hard, hard place to be. And we were almost was we pretty much chased out of, out of that environment. Um, and then, you know, the other estate that we then moved to, the stairwell was very dirty, very grim. You know, it, it wasn't a great place. You know, it was, it was a place where you're quite embarrassed to even invite people to your house. Um, Um, It was that bad. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy at all.
1: And then I I remember you talking about a particular story where I don't think um, you were allowed out to play or maybe you you just played on the balcony. I mean, what what was the reason behind that?
0: Yeah. So basically, um, you know, when we had lived in our previous estate, my mum had let me um, go out. And, you know, um, obviously the older Asian boys took my ball um, and, you know, were quite kind of mean because we were pretty much in, on that particular estate, We were pretty much the only black family in that in that estate, and they were quite mean to us and so forth. So my mum, after that, kind of just made us stay inside. And even when we moved, she kept that same, that kind of same fear of letting us be outside. And also, you know, she didn't want us hanging on the streets or being out after school. So, so for a lot of the time when other people got to play, you know, downstairs and, you know, all that type of stuff, we, we could only play on the balcony. And that just meant that you know if your ball went over into the garden downstairs, that ball was gone um and so forth so yeah, it was a it's, like I said, it was really hard it was it was very difficult. you felt like you were in prison, do you know what i mean um and you just go from the prison of of home to the prison of school. <laughs> back to the prison of home. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was back and forth. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it, became, it, it, was, it was something that, I guess it builds character. And, and now you can look back and laugh and smile. But at the time it was very restrictive. And, you know, and again, I feel like sometimes those environments make it hard to dream and make it hard for you to think about the wider society and wider, that way you want to be in life because you have so little.
1: Yeah. I think a lot, a lot of parents of that generation not just Nigerians, because you know, I'm, I'm from a Nigerian background, but a lot of immigrant parents probably had a lot of fears coming over from their respective countries. And it was all about education, education, not taking any unnecessary risks. So maybe that was part of the the mentality. But um, I mean, how, how were you as a, as a kid in primary school? What type of kid were you? Were you the class clown? Were you like the studious one or...
0: I was definitely the class clown throughout throughout not just primary school, secondary school, college. I've always been given this ability to make people laugh. Um, It's a gift now, and, you know, I get paid a lot of money because of it, but as a child, I definitely wasn't using it in the right way. Um, I always got in trouble at school. Um, At playtime, you know, we had some... It was called, you get a pink slip, where basically, you know, if you had that, you couldn't play when other kids were playing. You have to stand at the wall. Um, I I collected many of those... um, the head teacher knew me very, very well. Um, in, in again, in both primary school and secondary school, having Nigerian parents, it wasn't, especially a Nigerian dad that was education, education, education. It wasn't very good. You know, he, I feel like I grew up feeling that my father was very disappointed in me. Um, didn't although I was very good at sport, he didn't respect sport. He didn't, you know, he didn't come all the way from Nigeria for me to go and play. Was his um, particular saying because um, he just saw sport as as playing. As opposed to a career or something you can make money from, um, but yeah so it was it was very difficult edu- growing up in in that system, in the education system and trying to find my space, but yeah, I had loads of fun and loads of loads of fun, but it wasn't it wasn't appreciated by my my, my family, and I got into loads of trouble and
1: you, you mentioned about growing up in a, a Nigerian family, you also mentioned that your parents came from Nigeria, and I think you were, you were the first one of your family to, to be born in the UK. I mean, have you had a, a chance to go back to Nigeria many times or not Not really?
0: Not many times, but I recently yeah. went back. I recently went back a few months ago and, and I loved it. And um, I have to say that, you know, going back as an adult, I've gone as a child, but going back as an adult, it just renewed my mind. It just made me feel like, wow, this is home. You know, it was one of the first times that, I could just be me, like you know. The people around me think like I think. As much as you are born in the UK, like my house definitely felt like Nigeria. Do you know what I mean? The rules, the regulations, the the language, the the mindset was definitely of Nigeria. So it feels it feels nice to be able to have that now.
1: Excellent, excellent. Now I I didn't know this, but I was kind of reading elsewhere that you left school with four GCSEs. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that is very correct. Yes, I did.
1: So how, how were you able to use that, leverage that and get into credit university? Cause that's, that's where you ended up. And I think you studied accounting and finance there.
0: So I finished school with four, secondary school with four GCSEs, which meant that I, you, those times you needed five GCSEs. Um, and it actually meant that I couldn't go to college. So when I went to the college, they, they didn't want, they wanted me to go back and, you know, redo my GCSE. So I couldn't go and study the course that I wanted to study, um, Luckily for me, um, what happened was, is that um, I had a head teacher, my head of year, sorry, my head of year, uh, Mr. Barry, who actually um, wrote a letter to my college. So I told him, look, sir, I can't get into the, to my college, and he actually wrote me a letter um, saying that Emmanuel's been on a steep learning curve. You know, he's doing really well, and you know, you should give him a give him give him a chance. He'll do well in school. And so because of that, they let me they let me do a mixture of GMVQ and an A level so that would give me my free free kind of A levels that I needed to be able to then go on to university. Um, I always played sports so I played basketball so I played basketball for my for my college as well and I'd always played sport at a high level so Greenwich actually gave me an unconditional offer um, to, to go to Greenwich so um, just based off you know my sporting abilities and stuff like that so I had an unconditional to Greenwich so that's how I was able to to go to Greenwich University.
1: Shout out to Mr. Barry. Is he, yes. is, he, is he still around or do you yeah, still? Yeah, he... no,
0: he's still in contact with him. I still go to, he, he still, he's still in education. I still go to school and give talks now and so forth. And, you know, he's, a, he's very proud. Like, you know, you can't help but, you know, wipe a tear from his eye every time he hears me speak and talk and stuff like that. Because, you know, he, he was a big influence in my life. And I think that's so important. Sometimes you just need someone to believe in you, someone to see where you're at and just let you know that, you know, you can do it and you can achieve it. And, you know, that, that made a big difference in my life.
1: It reminds me actually, you know, of the Ian Wright story where I think he's, he's interviewed at some stadium about, and he talks about his teacher who, who gave him a chance and helped him get to where he is today. And then out of nowhere, the teacher appears and he just breaks down crying. Yeah, these teachers, man. I mean, numerous times in the past, we've had other people talk about that one teacher who was quite inspirational that, you know, did them a favor, either got them into college or university or did some other kind of favor and um yeah they go unnoticed in many many a time but they are really important like you say
0: yeah no they're hugely important and I think you know as much as yeah a lot of the content I do Matt you know criticize the educator system for not teaching about you know finance and so forth I might talk about the system but I have no no problems with teachers they do an amazing job what teachers do every day you know they do the, the best they can with what they've got and you know I feel like you know a teaching is such a hard job um and they're a, Right now, you know, teachers are so needed, especially for young people in this world that we're living in. So I have nothing but respect and and admiration for for the work of teachers.
1: Now you get into Greenwich University, you study accounting and finance, and then you graduate and you become a, a financial advisor. Why did you want to become a financial advisor?
0: Yeah, so while I was at Greenwich, I... um. I got um, a job in Barclays as a cashier. So um, luckily those times at uni, you know, you were only did like three days a week. So I used to do two days and a Saturday um, at Barclays. Um, so I got a job at Barclays as a cashier. So I used to work as a cashier. And I, I had, a, again, another mentor, my branch manager at Barclays, who really, again, sewed into me, really taught me the ropes. And I became really good at customer service. And this is what I was saying earlier about making people laugh you know, just meant I'm really good at building rapport. I'm a people person. Um, and I just wasn't using my skill and my talent in the right environment. But when I put it into the bank with the education and knowledge and then was able to add humour, add my personality, it meant customers used to, really, used to really warm to me to the point where customers would come into the bank and they would queue and just wait just for me, even though, you know, them times you only had an hour for lunch. So everybody was rushing, but there would be certain customers that would be like, no, I just want to be served by Emmanuel because of the relationship, because of the level of service and because I could put a smile on their face. And sometimes you just need that. Just need. Sometimes you just know that there's someone in your phone book, you just on the phone and that you know is going to be able to make you smile and make you feel better. That was the skill that I had and I was able to use it in the right environment. And so by... By doing that, I was working in Barclays, and then I won some awards. And by the time I graduated, Barclays were like, "You know, we don't want to let you go. What do you What do you want to do? Like, what position do you want to do?" It's it's very weird for a a bank to be giving you whatever position you want. Like, you know, just tell us what do you want. But that was the position I, I was in. Thank God. And um, I remember meeting a financial advisor. He had the Saab nine seven, and I don't know if you remember it from Paid in Full, where. Um, he comes out of hospital and they're in a Saab 97. And I never forget watching that film and being like, I love that car. And that was his company car. So (laughs) I was like, I need that car. What job gets you that car? And he's like, oh, financial advisor. Um, You you get a company car. So I was like, okay, I'm going to become a financial advisor. Um, And then learning more about it, it was like, actually, you know what? I wish I would, this is the job I'm going to take because I wish my parents had a financial advisor that could tell them stuff to me, and you know my family members and so forth, because I could see them making financial mistakes, but who in their, who in the community, who have they got that they can fall to to ask questions that they can trust, and when I looked at you know other communities there were there were people, there were solicitors, there were doctors, there were you know um, accountants, there were financial advisors in those in those communities which helped them build wealth and helped them be able to make better decisions and I felt like I couldn't see that in my community, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to become a financial advisor um, for the company car, but also to be able to to help people. And I became the youngest financial advisor in Barclays in the country at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there about it. Sounds like you're saying there were no role models for you at that time, particularly in in finance. You saw a lot of solicitors, doctors, etc., but no nobody in in finance. Has that become an important part of what you're doing now in terms of you know giving? the younger generation a good example to to follow after you
0: yeah definitely it's it's, it's huge you know representation matters and so for me you know there are people now who have become financial influencers or financial advisors and have been able to quit their job and do this stuff full-time on social media and support themselves and their family all because they saw me doing it and there was something that they they aspired to do and that's that's so that that to me is just as important as me doing well. Is the fact that I can inspire other people to do well. You know, I've had a young person come to me and be like, um, they like science, and so they were like, I want to become an expert like you. And when they when he told his friends, his friends kind of laughed at him, like, "What do you want to become an expert for?" Like, of all the jobs you want to do. And then when he was like, "Oh, but Eman's an expert," they were like, "Oh, yeah, Eman's cool. We love what Eman does. Like, so if that's what you want to do, then yeah, that's cool. We support that." And it's like sometimes you need to have those role models that people can that are bought into that to encourage you and say, look, let me step out of this this comfort zone. Let me step out of having to be a rapper or um, a a footballer. Like there are so many other professions for us, but who do we see in the spaces to make us feel comfortable to walk into these spaces? So I'm glad I can be a part of that for a lot of people.
1: And of course, that that leads on to you setting up Noir XL. Can you tell the listeners
0: a bit about that and and what made you set up that organisation? Yeah, so what I realised was as a financial advisor is that None of my clients looked like me or came from a working-class background, and then none of my colleagues either. And it was just—it just felt like I was just living in this warped reality where I would be on be on a council estate, but then from there go to work, and then go to when when I finish work, and when I'm at work, it's all you know rich white people, and then come back home to you know very ordinary working-class people. And I was like, where's the? How do we bridge the gap to get more working-class people? to become clients, to be in a space where they're building wealth, to have savings and money and assets that they can build for the future. And so that's what made me feel like, okay, for a lot of them, they're not ready for financial advice because they haven't actually got the money. In, and financial advisors are not looking for them because typically in this country, financial advice is targeted high net worth individuals. You pretty much need to have 50,000 or more. And and in 2023, probably most financial advisors will tell you they want you to have 100K plus. So if you don't have, if you don't fit in those... those those brackets how do you get access to financial advice and i would argue that working class people people with little with little money probably need more financial help and more financial support than people that have loads and so for me it was about creating a financial education company that would allow me to give that that knowledge and give that education to people to get them ready to so that they could then use my financial advice services and so that's where Noir Excel came from. It was all about, I wanted, I wanted the name to mean something. And to me, you know, Noir Black and then Excel Excellence, that was what I wanted my company to represent and stand for.
1: Maybe going out to do these talks?
0: Yes, yeah, so I was doing talks. I did loads of content on social media, on, online. Um, I also then did talks at schools, colleges, universities. I did talks at, at mainly at churches, to be honest. There was a lot of church groups that would have, you know, groups men men talks women talks youth talks that that would invite me to come and talk about finance and money and so forth
1: so over the years i mean i'm jumping ahead a little bit but over the years i mean how many people do you think have benefited
0: from your financial advice oh it must be God. in the
1: thousands right or is it is it is it more than that or is it less? oh than yeah that? no it's yeah.
0: definitely in, the, in in the thousands many many thousand you know i've given talks to you know, I'd, I'd say I always say over fifty thousand, but you know, it's coming. It's probably coming closer to a hundred thousand people since I since I've started that have you know had been in events and talks and actually heard me speak. If you then look at my content, you know, we 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 have um, in regards to like viewing the videos and so forth, we get you know over a million people a year that 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 viewed view the videos and content on, on the different platforms, um, and then also then one to ones and people that are, help buy property and start investing. Um, start a business, uh, um, elevate their business and so forth. So, yeah, we've we've helped loads and loads of people.
1: So about 50,000, like ballpark figure. And then if you, and and I know it would be very difficult to kind of assess, but like you would estimate that a fair proportion of that 50,000 will have taken up your advice and they would have changed their investment patterns and actually seen an increase in value in whatever they're investing in or whatever, you know, pensions, or whatever else.
0: 100%. yeah. So
1: like in terms of added value, you know, in terms of pounds, that must be huge. We're probably talking multiple, multiple millions. Yes, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, you touched on their delving into social media and you ended up setting up the MN Effect, which is a, a platform. But is it right? You, you initially set it up as a side hustle and then it became your kind of main gig. How did
0: that happen? Yeah, so basically the E Man effect was the YXL. Um I think when I first started I had a very mu- i had a very much focus just on the black community. Um but as I grew and that community already knew me and I was already servicing them, I felt like, you know, I needed to create into more of a personal brand and build the personal brand. So I changed the name from the YXL to the Eman effect because I kept having clients who who would who, did you take my advice and then they'd be in the would be in a shop going to buy something and they'd hear my voice telling them, Do you really need that? Are you really gonna buy that? Is that really something good? And then they would message me and say, That's the E Man effect. Okay. Like And so that's I had when I tell you I had about six or seven people in a row tell say that's the E-man effect. That's it and I was just like <laughs> I should name my company this because everyone's saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the email effect. So that's how it, that's how it came about. That's how the name came about. And yeah, so it was really important for me to, yeah, start as a side hustle. So I still had a main job. I was contracting, had a main job. And then in the evenings and weekends, I would just keep building that hustle until, you know, I started to earn enough that I could go full time. And... You went full-time
1: in, in 2019. I guess this was maybe just before the pandemic? I'm yeah, wondering. just before, yeah. Just before the pandemic, yeah. I think the main reason that you went uh, full-time is because you got made redundant. And I've, I've been made redundant at least a couple of times. But I, is it right you've been made redundant four times?
0: Yeah, three times, three times. Three, three times.
1: Yeah. What impact did that have on your confidence? You know, because you, you sound like a really, really resilient guy, but at the time, I mean, how, how did that impact your confidence?
0: I think at the time that there were a couple of them that was really a <laughs> shock and surprise and it really hurt, you know, in regards to, you felt like you were giving your all to the company, you loved the company, you know, you were doing what you were supposed to do and then they just let you go. And you know, they always give you that line, it's not personal, it's a business decision, it's nothing you've done. Um, you know, it, it can definitely hurt, especially when it happens repetitively, especially when you're the, you know, one of the only black advisors in the company, um, especially when you feel like you're one of the only black people in the office, do you know what I mean, let alone um, in a senior position as a financial advisor um, and you keep getting let go. Yeah, you can look at yourself and say, oh, but then I realised that, no, it's, it's because I'm not appreciated because in this market, to this high net worth market, you know, I'm not, I'm not appreciated as a financial advisor. But actually, to my community, and this is why I set up in the work. So I will be appreciated because they they need it. They haven't heard it in. They need someone to talk their language that understands what they're going through, the pressures that they're going through. And so for me, what felt you know what at the time felt like a, a very a, like rejection and felt bad actually ended up being me being pushed to my destiny, me being pushed. And that's how I that's how, how I see it now. I feel like you know what what was once considered failure is now what's led me to success. And so actually the, a lot of the companies that, I, that made me redundant, I, I hear from people that I know that still work there, how they mention how you know, I used to work there, that they, they actually tell people that I, that I used to work there. So you can imagine how life can turn around. You can go from not being wanted to now being people's claim to fame. So it's, it's really important for you to have belief in yourself and what you're doing and know that there is a place for you. And also to have a vision for yourself. I think that was really important. Like I, I had a vision for myself and I knew I knew what I wanted to achieve. And even though other people didn't get it, even though other people felt like it wasn't going to work, you know, that's okay because it's not their vision. Do you know what I mean? Like we all have sight, but we don't all have vision. Do you know what I mean? And so for me, I had that vision and I've made it come true. And now people have now caught on, you know, sometimes you just got to go do what you got to do and everybody else will catch up.
1: Yeah. That's perfect. That's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, so you were doing the social media thing as a side hustle, then it became your your permanent gig. And then it, it obviously led to you getting your first TV gig. I mean, how, how did that come about? And, and how long did it take for you to go full-time doing the social media thing to actually getting your first TV gig?
0: Yeah, so it was very quick. So I got made redundant in March 2019. Um, and, you know, from there, um, luckily the lady in the HR I made sure I got the most amount of benefit, most amount of money they could pay me. So, <laughs> by the time, and, and that was just love. You know, sometimes you just need, like when I talk about my story, I, there's always people that are there that are just supporting. And I just know that God just placed people, even in the midst of bad ha- things happening, even in the midst of things being hard and difficult. Every time I look at my story, I can always point to someone being there. And so, when when people see me, none like, of that, are you always helping people? I feel like I owe it. I'm here because of the people that took time to help me. They weren't related to me. They didn't owe me anything, but they they showed me love and care. And that's the reason why I'm here here today. And so when I looked at it, like she made sure I got the most amount of money. So when I added the money that she she made sure I got paid, as well as, you know, my savings, I knew I didn't have to work again for nine months. So I knew I had nine months worth of money so I could just focus on social media meeting people and I said to myself well if I can put nine to five for somebody else's business how many hours can I put in for my own so I used to I was posting videos twice a day I was doing lives I was doing lives on other people's platforms I was giving talks I didn't care about money I was just like let me talk let me practice let me hone my skill let me get better and better at what I do and and, and keep putting content out there um, and, I, you know, I created my unique style in regards to making finance fun, trying to add a fun, funny element to it. And, you know, Channel 4 saw this. Luckily, again, um, my friend Bola, Bola Sol, she's also a finance content creator. She was approached to, to audition. At the end of her audition, they asked her, does she know anyone else? She mentioned myself. Then they con- and she gave them my details. They contacted me. I did the audition. I even ended up going on the show and she didn't, but she was still happy for me. Um, and that was the show came out in November, 2019. So from March, 2019 to November, 2019, before I got my, before I was actually on the television.
1: Wow. So like literally a few months. Um, yes. that's, that's, uh, that's a real sort of dramatic, uh, rise. And obviously since then you've been, on or involved in many other TV programs. I mean, on the Money, you do that with Tayo, and we had Tayo on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. Money on on my mind on on Channel Four. You've done stuff with the BBC. We we are England. So many, you know, you've been on This Morning, Good Morning Britain, Jeremy Vine. So yeah, I mean, it's been a dramatic uh, rise to rise to fame. I mean, it's it's interesting. You talked about sort of developing your style and you you must be aware of your unique selling point i guess your usp because you know i've been listening to a couple of the other podcasts that you've done where you are being interviewed by comedians you know like russell kane and i can't remember their names but they were on the ricky gervais show afterlife
0: yes 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 chavix yeah that was a good one yeah
1: and they're they're, they're two comics and you were absolutely you're absolutely holding your own with these like you know (laughs) died in the wall comics who've been on the circuit for like 20 years or so you were making them laugh, not even vice versa. You were making them laugh. So how have you been able to, because, um, you you know, you're a naturally funny guy, but how have you been able to kind of nurture and develop that comic ability when you're doing some of these videos?
0: I think, honestly, there's there's the natural element um, in regards to just, you know, being funny, just always having that in me from school. You know, I always tell people I used to get bullied at school. I went to a boy's school, it was very hard. And so I, I learned to be quick. You had to learn to be... Be quick! Like somebody would say something about you, especially with me. I didn't have the right trainers. Like I didn't have designer trainers. I didn't have the designer clothes. Um, you know, I wasn't. I didn't always have my hair cut. Like I couldn't afford to get it every week. So there were loads of things. If you ever wanted to to cuss someone, I was always the, per- the first person people would try try it with. So I had to always learn to be able to to come back with a quick remark, be quick thinking, and so that really helped me in regards to building my wit and so forth. Then also just knowing my community, like, you know, I stay in tune with the issues in the community, things that are happening. I still do one-to-ones, you know, with people that are going through it so I can understand people's struggles and the mistakes people are making so I can try and bring that to life. Um, I also watch a lot of I watch a lot of you know, comedians like I love Kevin Hart um, and and you know loads of loads of other comedians so I love to watch their style but also motivational speakers like Eric Thomas Gary V these types of people I love to hear hit, like really hone my craft and listen to to other speakers and see what they're doing well and and see what they've done and see how I can add that and really try and master my craft and and then loads of practice so I'm forever practicing what I do always looking at opportunities to speak and just hone in and, 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 and develop it. So it, it comes very natural when I'm out and given an opportunity to speak. So, you know, a lot of the jokes I say, people are hearing them for the first time, but I've said them, you know, hundreds of times in the past. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? So it's just knowing when to say it for what environment you're in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, um, that's a good tactic. And you mentioned some of the TV programs you're involved in. Obviously you're still doing the social media stuff. I mean, with so many media engagements, how does the typical week look for you? I mean, you know, are you on the road a lot? Are you doing lots of filming? How does it pan out for you?
0: Yes, it's a lot. So, you know, no two weeks are the same. There's loads of different things going on. Some weeks you're, you're busy doing talks. You know, obviously, like I said, this month is Black History Month. So loads of talks, loads of events, loads of appearances, um and so forth but then there's podcasts that, that 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 I'm you know always been invited on to do um then there's media so you know I do a lot on, on channel four with Steph's Pat Lunch which is filmed in Leeds so you know I travel up to Leeds quite like maybe two times a month um then other than that you know doing other talks at, at other companies so sometimes that's online sometimes that's in person so there's a lot of, there's a lot of travel um and so forth so no two weeks are the same and I'm still, you know, a father of four children so still trying to make sure I'm helping them with their homework. I'm still going to their events. You know, they've always got one of their friends has a birthday party so you're driving them around there Um, and plus all their extracurricular activities that they do. Um, I've got a wife to support and, and her dreams as well so, There's loads of things that are always happening and you just have to kind of prioritise. I've got staff, a PA and, and so forth that really help, help you know, with content and so forth. So I don't have to do that as much as I used to, you know. You might see me in the content, but I'm not necessarily the one editing it. I don't film it myself anymore. You know, I've got people that are helping me making the machine work.
1: Making the machine work. Like it, like it. And you've also written a book called Get Your Money. And if you go on to Amazon people you'll be pleased to know it's been given a 4.6 rating out of five. So uh, <laughs> a highly rated, highly rated book on there. What's the book about,
0: Emmanuel? Yeah, so the book, Get Your Money Right. It's just really about, you know, for a lot of us, we are getting money. You know, we are working, working hard and we're getting money. But for a lot of us, we're not getting it right. As in, we are making money um, and and then we are spending it or it's it's coming and it's going. And the problem with that is, is that, if we have that lifestyle where you forever live paycheck to paycheck or you live, enjoy your money and then have to work again, you are signing up, whether people realise or not, they are signing up to forever work. Because if you always have to, if the only way to live your lifestyle is through working and you don't have wealth and assets to generate income, you're always going to have to work. And, nobody, and to me, that's not the plan. The goal in life is not to work forever. And so what I want to try and do with this book is to help people get their money right, understand how the system works, in really easy to understand terms, give people examples of how they can use the things that I'm teaching them in their daily lives and it, and almost be like a, um, a guide where people can come back. So yes, you can read it from cover to cover, but also when you're now going to buy a house or buy a property, you can then go to that chapter and, and get more details. If you're thinking about, oh, should I? how do I start investing? You can go to the investing chapter. So it's also being able to use it as a guide for whatever part of your financial journey you're on. Um, because there's so much information out there, and I wanted to really make sure that people understood the foundations because too many people, you know, they're struggling with PowerPoint and they're struggling with um, Word. They're even struggling to change their password on their phone, but all of a sudden they want to put their life savings into crypto. The two don't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make no sense, yeah. you know? So it's really about saying that, okay, yes, everyone on, online is talking about this crypto, but what is it? How does it work? And w- at what time should I be thinking that that's, I'm, I'm at the position where I can think about investing in that if I want to? So it was really to give people a guide because... There's so much information out there; it can be a, you can almost try and run or sprint before you can even crawl.
1: Yeah, it's very true that there is so much information out there, and with AI and fake news, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to decipher which is good advice and what is just, just you know, just fake stuff. Exactly. You do so much. I mean, apart from the family stuff, your kids, your TV personality. We've talked about the books. You're, you're an author, public speaking, motivational speaker. And then obviously you're still a, a financial advisor. So out of those four things, I mean, what, what do you enjoy the most, do you think, out of those four things?
0: Yeah, I'd say I, I probably, first and foremost, I probably enjoy the public speaking the most. Like, you know, there's there's nothing like when you're on a stage. And like I did, um, my good friends, um, Bianca and Byron, um, they released a book lot, um, last week and um, called Rich forever and um, I was the host and I got to host it with Lisa Mafia um, from So Solid Cream, which oh, is just, yeah, which was just amazing number one but <laughs> that just started alone is like you know when, how am I on the stage with Lisa Mafia like that's just crazy but when I was on the stage having an, I mean there was about 800 people in the room and just being able to just connect with them and make them laugh and hit like there's nothing that gives you that feeling you know when when you're able to just have have them silent when you need it to be have them boisterous and loud when you want them to be you know just just being able to control a room and control a crowd and and just have a, a positive impact in there and then just elevate the event so yeah, I love. I love, um, you know, being on panels and public speaking and talking and keynote speeches and all that type of stuff. And then after that, I love being a financial advisor. You know, I love helping people. People come into my office and they have a they think one way. Um, and by the time they leave, you know, they, they feel more confident about achieving their goals and their dreams because you're able to just impart that knowledge and guidance to them. So, you know, those are my two favorite things in, in, in life.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see you doing more comparing work. As you said, you can neatly balance the comedy with the specific advice as well and people obviously value both in this world so yeah man I can see you do much more of that much more of that what's next for you I know you've you've obviously got your um your own company Belvedere group as well how how's that going and what plans do you have for that company in the
0: future yes so Belvedere is doing amazing you know we are a black owned financial advice firm that doesn't mean we only deal with black clients. You know, we take clients, we look after clients from all walks of life, but it's the only black owned, you know, financial advice firm um, directly authorised that, that we know about. And, you know, we are putting out our our efforts together. So I wanted to set up on my own. I was going to set up my own firm and my own company. And then I realised, I spoke to, to Jaron, my, my, my business partner, and he, he was setting up and he was like, you know what, rather than us becoming competition to one another, let's join together and be stronger and more more powerful and have a, a, a bigger reach together and now we we've, we've brought on another and we've got seven partners at the moment um all part part of our part of the firm all advisors and, and that's growing and that's building so that's amazing um and and that's you know we're, we're hoping to to carry on building and servicing people and allowing people to get access to to financial advice and you know maybe targeting people who maybe other other companies are not interested in or not focusing on We really want to be you know the financial advice firm for for for, for the everyday person
1: yeah we can't get enough financial advice i mean i was i was hearing the other day that and i don't know if this is like a bit of a myth that women in general are better with money than men because you're you know you're in the weeds with all this stuff is that true and and if so why is
0: that so women are definitely better better investors than men um but women invest less so one of the one of the good things about you know, women in general is that they tend to make investment decisions based on information. So women will go to events, they will attend, they will attend masterclass, they will they will pay for a one to one, they they will they want to get information before making a decision. Um, men tend to tend to be more off the cuff. So a friend will say, I invested in X and I made X, and now and now they're ready to invest in it. They don't really, they're not really out here going to seminars and networking and so forth. Um, so because women have better information, and make, they then tend to make better decisions when they do invest. Um, and that's why they tend to make more money. Whereas, you know, men have just invested off the back of their friend. And just because it worked for them, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And so that, that, that's that there. Um, but actually, there's not enough women actually investing because sometimes you're so busy collecting information by the time you've collected all the information, the investment's gone or, you know, time has passed and so forth. So it's really important to get started. Um, and even if you need to start small, get started. Um, you know, I always tell people, even if it means that you, you drink one less coffee or one take one less tea or you go to dinner one less time and that money you would have spent on that, you just use it to invest just so you can get some experience and knowledge, like it it will benefit you in the long run and not only you but especially if you're planning to have a family like financial education needs to happen in the home and one of the problems especially in the black community is that not enough people are financially confident and because they're not confident they're not having those conversations with their children and that's how we get stuck in a poverty cycle where one generation passes poverty mindsets and, and habits onto the next and it carries on and so for a lot of people what I'm telling them is is that you've got to be you've got to stop it that, that poverty cycle has to stop with you. And so that requires you to invest in yourself. It requires you to start make, getting out of your comfort zone, making different decisions so that, you know, your generations to come will benefit.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so important. And, you know, you just in, talked about your kids and children, and this has come up a couple of times with previous guests, you know, the, the fear that because that person has been successful, how can they prevent their kids not having that same hunger that they had in order to achieve success. Uh, is, is that something you've thought about? Cause I know you've got four kids and, and if so, you know, how are you going to prevent your kids not becoming lazy and not having that same hunger that you
0: had? Yeah, I think, I think the hunger part is, is difficult in regards to, you know, when you can't, you can never emulate, like someone that's that, that eats three meals a day can never understand someone that eats two or two or three times a week. Like you can never, ha- you've never been there. So I, I can never, I never want my kids to ha- understand the desperation that, that led me to, you know, have to work as hard and, and build the mindset that I have. I, I have purposely been successful so they don't have to. So I'm not putting that, that pressure on them to achieve what I've achieved. But what I am doing is saying, look, in regards to their character, in regards to the person that they are, like, you know, my kids are, are, are very intelligent and they do very well at school. Um, but I also put it on them that who are you as a person? Because that's most important to me, you know? Who are you as a person? When you're outside, do people say, oh, yeah, you know, I can tell that you're Emmanuel's son or daughter because of the way that you behave, do you know what I mean? That means more to me because at the end of the day, I'm trying to I'm trying to raise good, nice human beings, do you know what I mean? And I think where the money side of things, hopefully it won't be something they have to worry about. If they want to go out and work and do whatever great, but hopefully the stuff that I'm doing means that they can. Their, their job is more to, and what I'm trying to teach them is, how do you manage it? How do you build on what, I've already, what I'm going to leave to you or what I'm going to build with you? How do you manage that? That's that's something for me. But for me, it's about when I'm gone, I'm not here. What are you going to be like to your other siblings? What are you going to be like to other people? Are you going to be wealthy and just think about yourself? Or are you going to be a, a person that gives to charity and looks to help people around you? Because... That's something that's key and important to me. So for me, I focus more on their character rather than what grades they got or what or what job they can get or how much money they have in their bank that bank account. To me, that's not what I judge them on and I'm not going to judge them on as they get older. For me, it's, it's what type of person they are. As long as they show those right characteristics, I'll be a proud father and know that I've done my job.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much wider sort of perspective and hopefully by taking that wider perspective all the other things should take care of them themselves. Yeah. I I completely see where you're coming from. We're kind of running out of time, but uh, one, one question that we ask all of the guests that come on the show is, you know, with your level of success that you've had, how much of that do you think is down to either luck? How much of it is down to hard work or how much of it is down to talent? If you had to choose one of the three,
0: what would you choose? I think the most important is hard work. Yeah. Luck, you create your own luck. So for example, you know, um, Like I said, I got my first show in in, in 2019, November 2019. You go into 2020, then we go into lockdown, so people are talking about money. Then we have George Floyd, and then television companies know that they need a black person to talk about money. Here I am. So yes, and I haven't stopped working since. So that, I'm not saying that was lucky, but if those things didn't happen, I know I wouldn't. That was what got me my big break on television, was the fact that we went into lockdown and George Floyd. I, I could never, ever say that that didn't happen. But if I wasn't doing the work beforehand, they never would have known to select me when they were looking for someone. Do you understand? So for me, the hard work is... And also, me doing the work for the years previous I meant when they gave me the opportunity, I was in a position where I had the knowledge and the skill to take advantage of it. So for me, it's the hard work, um, and then the opportunities will find you over time. Um, and there are people who are maybe more funny than me, people that are more talented, people who are more qualified than me, but they're not where I'm at because they haven't, they didn't have the work ethic that I had. They weren't prepared to make the sacrifices that I were, was prepared to make. And so for me, nothing beats hard work. I, we see it in football all the time. And I, I knew people when I was when I was younger. They were great footballers, but they didn't have the right. They had the talent, but they didn't have the right work ethic. And sometimes I look at people who are playing in the Premier League, and I'm like. I knew people that were better than you when I, was, when I was in school or whatever, but they didn't have your work ethic. They didn't have the discipline. And so for me, I always put hard work and discipline over talent or luck.
1: That's a great way to end the show. Emmanuel, thank you so much for all of your time and uh, wish you all the best
0: for the future. No, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the podcast. Thank you for shining a light on on us you know we appreciate i know how hard it is to get these things done and book people in so i appreciate your time and your hard work and you know keep keep being great thank you
1: thanks so much to emmanuel as i said to him i think he is very unique in what he does on the one hand he's very credible at giving good financial advice but he's also funny i don't know many other financial experts that are funny do you so more power to him look out for him on tv I'll put a link in the show notes for his book, Get Your Money Right, to look out for that as well. But also, do you agree with Emmanuel? I mean, do you think women are better at investing and with money than men? Please let us know. Hit us up on the socials at How I Crushed It or send an email to It at gmail.com and catch you on the next show.